Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations with Kaylee. My name is Kaylee Kukwa, and I've spent the last decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of two, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my book knowledge and combining it with real life experiences to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations that always include practical tips so you can walk away feeling inspired and empowered to make simple yet impactful changes in your family's life. Let's dive in. Hello, welcome back to another Core Parenting Conversation with Kaylee. And today is the last conversation in the Back to Basics series for this month. And so today I wanted to end it with something I think is super practical for all of us and talk about a common struggle, which is transitions. You know, the transitions that we navigate like 20 times a day, at least with our children from the time they wake up and transition to the breakfast table, to getting dressed, to each step of the morning routine before we even make it out the door. And I didn't even mention nap times and getting home from activities or school and the bedtime routine and everything in between. While I was getting ready to record this episode, I counted our family's transitions with my two school-aged boys in kindergarten and second grade. And before 8 a.m., so in like an hour, maybe an hour and a half time on weekdays, we have at least seven obvious transitions. Those are only the big ones that I'm counting. I'm sure there's tons of little ones in between there. Some days it feels like all Seven of those transitions require a song and dance, (laughs) which is exhausting for everyone. It makes sense why it's so easy for us to find ourselves in power struggles, especially during transitions. The reason why I wanted to include this as our last back to basic topic is because there's some great developmental information to share with you to help reframe and address this common difficulty. And this topic in particular is a great transition into next month's theme of connection. So there's a lot of moving parts in today's episode. You're going to get a lot of really great nuggets. I'm going to just kind of set you up for some really exciting content for next month as well. I'm going to start very similarly to how I started the Behavior Bites series, if you listen to that back in October. And begin by explaining some of the developmental stuff that's going on, the cognitive skills that are required during transitions, aka the thought demands that transitions require us to do almost automatically. And for adults, we do them pretty automatically. We don't really consciously often have to think about them, although sometimes I'm sure as we go through some of this stuff, you'll realize we do actually consciously have to do some of this. But it's even trickier for our children who have less practice. And many of these are just starting to develop in early childhood. All right. So in order to transition from one activity to another, our brain has to recognize 
either with some thoughtfulness or automatically that the other activity is more important than the one I am currently doing. This is an executive function called prioritizing. In addition to prioritizing being an executive function or a higher level thought process, we're assuming that everyone has the same priorities as us. So a couple different points of that, executive functions begin developing, that prefrontal cortex begins really starting to fire up in toddlerhood, like two, three years old, and continues developing until the mid-20s. So if we're talking about early childhood, which is eight or under, these are just starting to come online. So they're switching on and off constantly. They're very high demand, exhausting activities. So our children aren't usually able to either sustain them for very long or do them independently at first. And let's face it, sometimes as an adult, we struggle with a lot of these as well, which you'll realize as we go through this a little bit more. And when it comes to our children, we're working through two major developmental factors, the developing cognitive ability to be able to consider two variables and their implications, and then rank them based on their long-term impacts, such as, huh, I want to play with Legos and I need to brush my teeth, right? Well, if I brush my teeth, I can, you know, that's really good for my long-term dental health. It's important to do that and prevent cavities. And I can just do that and then come right back to Legos, just get it done. I'll do it now so I don't forget. That's asking a lot of higher level thought processes in that moment. The other piece of this is the social emotional implications of perspective taking. That is to consider others' perspectives and priorities. So recognizing, yeah, we don't all have the same priorities. I wonder why mom cares so much about teeth brushing. Let me understand this for a moment. Oh, you know, I can see mom's perspective and I think she's right. I mean, I can remember when I, those thoughts finally occurred to me, I was definitely like in my mid twenties, you know, up until that point, my parents knew nothing. They didn't understand me. And I really didn't understand them, but a lot of that was just due to development. So the next developing skill in early childhood to consider is shifting attention. That is the actual ability to pause one's current task and focus on another. This can be difficult for adults, especially if we're mid-thought or scrolling on an electronic I know often, you know, someone will start talking to me and I'm like typing up an email or maybe I'm in the middle of like transferring money or paying a bill or something like that. And I've had to get in the habit of saying, hold on, let me finish this thought so I can really understand and pay attention to what you're saying, right? Because I can really only give one thing at a time, my undivided attention, And to me, and I think a lot of us can all agree on this, is this is an ongoing weight of parenthood, right? There's such high demand for our attention that we're constantly having to shift it from child to child or emergency to emergency. The dog's barking, the bell is ringing, and dinner is boiling over, and a kid is screaming, right? And so many days, that's what drains my mental stamina. Now apply that difficulty times 100, 
which is not a scientific number, by the way, (laughs) to children because they haven't practiced it as much as we have. And children are wired to become engrossed in activities, which is honestly one of my favorite characteristics of them. If you've ever watched a toddler watch an ant on the sidewalk and they're so engrossed with this like speck, right? If you've ever tried to load up the car and walked out, this used to happen all the time. And my child would get distracted by the stick on the ground. They are just so incredibly present in the moment and they're wired to become engrossed in it because that's how they learn and explore the world. It's really difficult to interrupt that natural process. Now, those are the first two, and I'm only going to cover one more developing skill, even though I could cover a bunch more. But for time's sake, I want to finish the developmental info and get to the, okay, what do I do about it part? (laughs) Because I know our time and energy and mental stamina is limited, and we just want to know how to help and what to do. But I think one more thing is super important to understand, and that is the idea of task completion and task initiation. So these are like two separate, but I'm going to kind of combine them into one because task completion is knowing how to finish something and ability to recognize when it's actually finished. I mean, think about it. Like, how do you know when dinner is actually done? Oh, it matches the recipe, right? I mean, there's, there's so many things that we do as adults automatically. We don't even think about them, but our children don't know how to do them automatically yet. They're learning how. Task initiation is starting a new task, knowing how to start it, which I think as adults, we can relate to that sometimes that's hard. That's tricky, especially when something feels daunting. And I'm really thinking of my laundry room right now, to be perfectly honest. That's one of the reasons procrastination can happen, right? We almost need to feel the sense of urgency to motivate us to start because otherwise it's just easier not to even start it. It's just too overwhelming. So I'm not even going to try, but this urgency can be a double-edged sword because it can trigger a bigger stress response. As I'm sure you've noticed, it usually does, especially in our children. Let's consider our young children who have not practiced these activities for years, who are more easily overwhelmed by multi-step activities. It makes sense that starting a new task may be something to avoid altogether, especially if the task means doing something less desirable. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't really want to get dressed. Of course, I rather play with Legos. And if it has a less desirable outcome, like I know if I get my pajamas on again to bed. I'm going to be separated from my parents during the night if your child sleeps in their own bed. So there's a lot of different reasons why our child may not want to start or may not easily switch gears to be able to start an activity. Now that we have a deeper understanding and more empathy for our children right now, we can take their perspective a little bit better. How do we help? How can we support these developing skills, build connection through routines, and decrease the frustration and power struggles throughout the daily things we need to get done? I don't, like I think to myself all the time, we do this every day. These are like basic need-to-do-for-life skills and like things on our to-do list. Why is it so difficult? But it really is because 
you know, given the choice, of course, I'd rather do my hobby than cook dinner, right? (laughs) But we do it every day. The Get Silly Challenge is coming. If you feel like simple daily routines are exhausting and frustrating for you and your child, or if you feel disconnected from your child because all you do all day is manage the schedule and feel like you're barking orders at them, then this challenge is for you. It's a seven-day program that teaches you simple techniques to embed into your daily routine to make the mundane activities fun, cup-filling, and connecting, which will reduce frustration and increase cooperation. I developed this program after I found myself getting burned out with all the daily routines and felt like I wasn't actually enjoying spending time with my kids. I needed a reminder to implement all the brain-based strategies I teach to parents. This challenge includes a workbook with examples and ideas for implementation, five daily lives inside a private group to answer your questions, give you more fun examples, and encourage you. You'll also get a daily email with reminders, games, tips, and more to keep you motivated. If you're a member of the core community, you're automatically enrolled. My goal for you with this challenge is not to add anything to your to-do list, but transform it with connection, fun, and enjoy parenting again. For more information on the Get Silly Challenge or to join the core community and gain access to this challenge and so much more, head to the show notes for the link. And now back to this core conversation. All right, so here are three strategies that I find helpful for our house and that I believe really support skill building. So we're also working on that developing brain and supporting that while fostering connection and empowering our children. Number one is visual schedules. I talk about visual schedules so often because they really are a simple way to take away so much of that mental load from parents and empower children to take ownership over their own routines. If you want more of a deep dive into visual schedules, you can head to episode 13 with my friend, Sarah Olsher. We go into a lot of detail of different visual schedules, how to use them, why they're so great. And she also has a company called Mighty and Bright. If you don't want to make your own visual schedule, you can go on her website and check that out. And I will link that in the show notes for you. I use daily visual schedules. So you can use a visual schedule to break down like a certain routine during the day, maybe your morning routine. You can even break it down to what do you do in the bathroom? Using the toilet, brushing teeth, getting ready for bed and all of those things, right? Like bathing, potty, teeth brushing, putting on pajamas, or a full daily schedule that just breaks down the plan for the day. Where are we going? Any special plans like a play date or specific errands to run? Main anchor points is what I call them, such as who's taking them to school, meal times, rest times. And finally, I always try to highlight when and what choices my child has throughout the day. What do you want to do after school? What show do you want to watch during TV time? Now, this isn't meant to like set things in stone and we can't be flexible about them. We can't change our minds. They are meant to just give the child something concrete 
kind of planning ahead, which is a skill we're supporting and developing skill we're supporting when we do this. And oftentimes, if we've talked about it ahead of time, they can look forward to it. Their brain has something to transition to. It leads to proactive collaboration between us and our child. Well, you know, I don't know if we'll have enough time for that. What if, and we can kind of talk about that, even with young children, twos, threes, in very simple ways, right? And it also primes their brain for what's to come. So routines or activities, errands, what have you, doesn't feel like such a big shock because their brain has already kind of had the information downloaded and they've had a little time to process. The visual or picture piece of this is so important because their brain processes visual information better than verbal or written information. Our brains do that. That's why there's like road signs and not paragraphs at stoplights, right? At a glance, quick and easy to process. When they feel, when our children feel like they have a firm understanding of what's to come, their brain has something to hook onto. So the transition feels more predictable. Our brain likes predictability. Familiarity signals safety, and that sense of empowerment and predictability helps the child regulate through transitions. Yes, even the simple ones from the kitchen table to the bathroom to brush teeth. (laughs) I'm right there with you guys. I, I get it. We can use the visual schedule as a skill builder because we're literally supporting that skill of time management, of planning ahead, of what comes next, all of those things that are developing and lagging in our children currently, and empower the children through the simple act of asking them to tell us what comes next. Oh, you finished eating. Now what? Oh, it's time to brush your teeth and hair. Where's your toothbrush? Of course, We could just tell our child, now it's time to brush teeth. Let's go to the bathroom. But if we let them lead by giving them the opportunity to check the schedule and think through the process, we are building the skill of task completion, task initiation, switching gears, so shifting that attention, time management, prioritizing, all of those things. And we're empowering them to feel in charge of their own schedule by sharing the next steps with us. I call this tickling the prefrontal cortex because we're just slightly activating it and allowing them to fully turn it on. There's another more playful way to do the same kind of process, which brings me to my next tip, and that's adding some playfulness into the routine. Before I dive in, and I'm going to link that example with like the playfulness kind of slant to it, But let me just share with you that I can be a total taskmaster. Like I like efficiency. I like to get things done. I like my checkbox. I'm the person that will write something onto my to-do list so I can like cross it off. Okay. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. (laughs) And on top of it, I have so many things to get done during one day and manage so many people's stuff that mental load, right? That invisible load of motherhood. Like I keep a running to-do list in my journal all the time just to help myself, give myself some executive function support. So it's really easy for me. And I'm sure many of you can relate to just slip into barking orders at my family members, especially at my children. Becoming mindful of being playful has been a game changer for me. 
Play is children's love language. It's how they learn. It's how they naturally interact with the world. And it's a powerful way to connect with them. And here's the great news for those of us who aren't naturally playful. We can embed simple, playful moments throughout our routines to be playful and fill our child's cup, which decreases stress and increases connection. That increase in connection also increases cooperation, (laughs) which decreases power struggles and frustration from both parties. In fact, this was the inspiration for developing a week-long challenge I do once a quarter called the Get Silly Challenge, which gives parents a new playful technique to embed through their day. Each day you're in the challenge, you get a new technique. My goal is not to add to your to-do list, but to transform it, to be one of more connection opportunities and less frustration with your child. Okay, so what's a practical example of this? One of my favorite techniques with my boys is to be a confused adult. And I use this with my clients, with all ages, but it's probably my favorite one. I used it most recently with a three-year-old an autistic three-year-old. So really, this really is for everyone. (laughs) All right. So let's go back to the first thing where I was saying, let's ask them a simple question of what's next on the list. So instead of asking that simple question or where do you brush your teeth, we can make it playful by being a ridiculously confused adult. Children like three, like I was saying, as young as three, maybe even two, will get a kick out of this. (laughs) If it sounds like, oh, you're done with breakfast. Okay, now it's time to pick a bedtime story, right? It's time to go to bed. (laughs) Children, so they have to be old enough to understand like daily routines, like we eat breakfast and then we get ready for the day or in the morning we eat breakfast, at nighttime we go to bed. But throwing something there out, like so outrageous to get laughter. Oh, it is. It's morning time. It's not time to go to bed. We just woke up. Okay, what do we do next then? Oh, we brush your teeth. Okay, well, let's go outside and find your toothbrush. Do you think your toothbrush is in the bushes or the grass? Oh, man, I hope the dog didn't bury it in the backyard. I wonder if we'll have to dig up dirt to find... Oh, wait, your toothbrush isn't outside? Well, then where is it? Right? And see, if they start laughing, that's when we want to go for giggles. That's how I kind of see, is this funny? Do I need to take it like more over the top? Are they getting a kick out of this? Or are they just like, mom, right? We want to attune to their mood, certainly. If they start giggling, you know you're on to something. The giggles signal a chemical reaction in the body, which helps connect you and help complete stress cycles. So if there is any stress with the transition, especially ones of separation, it can help diffuse those a little bit. And the playfully confused adult lets the child feel in charge in a developmentally appropriate way. Very similar to how when they play house and they pretend to be the mom or the dad, right? They're trying on this extra power in a a safe play situation, which helps flex those muscles, so to speak, build those muscles. Another playful way to transition when a child refuses to do something and you want to do it playfully is lean into it in a very overdramatic way. So I did this the other day with my five-year-old when it was time to pack up and leave the gym. And he was in the kids' area. He was watching a show. The show was over. I turned it off. 
and he had taken off his shoes and he lay down on the floor and he was like, I can't put on my shoes, mom. I don't want to go. You know, it was just like very dramatic. I just wanted to get home because I had to start dinner. And so I had a moment where I could have just said, you know, fine, don't put on your shoes. Let's just go. Let's just go. Or put on your shoes right now or else da, 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 da. Instead, I looked at him and he was exhausted, by the way. So it was a part of the problem. And I just said, oh, look, my baby can't put on the shoes all by himself. Oh, my goodness. Come here, baby. Let me help you. Oh, look at your little baby feet. They're so cute. And I started really leaning into this baby play because he was acting, you know, when they act helpless, that's like that baby helplessness. So oftentimes this can be a playful remedy for that. And we both started, well, he started giggling really hard first, and then his giggles made me giggle. And we got his shoes on giggling, and he walked out the door happily. So this is the power of play. And does it always work? No, but it is such an effective tool to have in the toolbox that I think as parents who are just trying to manage the day, we can forget about and overlook and maybe not call upon it as much as it would be helpful to us. So if you're interested in finding out more about these simple play techniques to embed in your daily routine, check out the upcoming Get Silly Challenge. It starts Sunday, February 12th of 2023, if you're listening to this in a different year, and runs through seven days of emails, a group support, a workbook, and includes five daily lives with me, giving you real life examples like the baby in the gym putting shoes on (laughs) example, and how to embed them in your daily routine. I don't want to add to your to-do list. Goodness knows we already have enough. My goal is always to transform it. We'll also cover how to help your child regulate if they get overly silly in the process because don't we know that all happens? (laughs) Okay, so the last support strategy for helping children transition is to collaborate with them. This is one of my favorite ways to support the development of perspective taking and prioritizing because before I can expect my child to take my perspective and share my priorities, I must show up and show them that I am willing to extend them that same courtesy. For younger toddlers and preschoolers, it may look like choices. And then I'll shift a little bit for the older children. I join their world first and connect with what they're doing. Like, oh, wow, look at that tower. It's almost time to go. And you've been working so hard on that. Would you like help cleaning it up? Or do you want to leave it out and keep building it when we come back? Or, oh, your doll is sleeping. Shh, you finally got her to sleep. Would she like to come with us in the car and sleep in the car? Or does she want to stay at home and sleep in her bed? Okay, so we're, we're help, again, we're entering their world. We're incorporating some of the playfulness. We're showing them we value what's important to you, right? We value your priority. And here's my priority. It's almost time to go. And then we're offering them some solutions because it may be difficult for toddlers, young children to come up with their own on the fly. So that's why choices can be a really great way to support that. For older children, I may ask slightly more open-ended questions, right? They have more experience, their brain's a little more developed, so they may have more input. I see you're working super hard on your picture and it seems really important to you. 
what would you like to do with it when it's time to go? Or a term that I've used a lot with my child is stopping point. So they kind of get used to that, finding that pause point, or we'll use pause point too. Are you getting close to a pause point? Or what do you think would be a good pause point for this activity? Now, if they have difficulty with this still, or may even push back, or may not want to stop what they're doing, I'll say, hey, remember last time you felt really rushed when it was time to go because you wanted to wait to get ready? if you don't want to feel rushed again. So I'm not shaming, blaming. I'm just recalling a situation because that reflection is actually the consequence of what happened last time. If you don't want to feel rushed again, it's probably a good idea to start getting ready now. Start getting dressed now so you have more time. If you have extra time, you can hang out outside while I pack up the car. Now, I would say that for my kids because they can hang out in our driveway and that's a big incentive for them. They usually like doing that for a few minutes before school, but you can really change that to fit your family. Now, this conversation takes some time and planning, so it's not meant to do in the heat of the moment and really won't be productive if there's a sense, already a sense of urgency. I often like to do this well before the transition during a time we're all open and calm in the conversation. This can give us more time to troubleshoot. So if we really have a discrepancy of ideas or priorities, we can talk through them a little bit and buffer time to work through any big emotions that may pop up as a result to the transition. So there you have it. (laughs) That is our last episode in the Back to Basics series. Even though this isn't a big picture idea, like so many of mindset shifts that I shared this month. I think the practice of connecting our child's behavior to developing skills and finding ways to support that development is a foundational idea in responsive parenting. And what a better way to apply this than to transitions, which is such a common struggle for so many families, (laughs) including mine. So you're not alone. If this episode was helpful to you, please take time to leave a review or share with a friend or share it on social media. You can tag me at Kaylee Kukla. All of those things help other people discover this podcast and information and add the tips and tricks and mindset shifts to their parenting toolbox. These simple yet powerful tools, I truly believe, can change the world. One family at a time. If you'd like more information on the upcoming Get Silly Challenge, which is included for all core community members, head to the show notes for the link to sign up for either one of those programs. Thank you so much for being here and have a wonderful week.